you guys. You just like, it's just fun to say that, isn't it? Just, you didn't know I could do that, did you? I'm usually so dignified. Yeah, I thought about going to that science fair because I am a scientist. You know, you didn't know that. But if you take an orange peel and if you take a match and if you bend the orange peel and squeeze it, the little juice lights on fire. Did you know that? Anybody here know that? I knew. Man, I could educate you guys so much, teach you so many things. Did you know if you put a little gas on the floor and light a match to it, it'll start on fire? Did you? Yeah. Don't you try that and don't tell nobody that you heard that from, you know, the reverend. She might be in trouble. It's good to be back in the States. JP and I just missed each other by about an hour, I guess, in the airport. He was overseeing his woman in Berlin. Yeah, JP's married to a girl in Berlin. Her name is Maria. They find their relationship works best if they live on different continents. I've been counseling him about all of that, you know. My wife and I are thinking of doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah, Maria sends her love, JP. I'm supposed to give you a hug, and but I told her I wouldn't give you a kiss, so I stopped right there. The hug, that's it. Yeah, it was in Utah. We got a new rock in Utah, right downtown in Salt Lake City, Mormon country. <clears throat> and, and I was doing a conference, and half of the people at the conference are former Mormons. So it's very cool. <clears throat> My uh, <clears throat> ex-drummer in the band I used to be in, he's the pastor of that church. And man, some really neat things are happening. Their bass player is um, a Mormon who does not yet know the Lord. And every week he shows up. Keeps coming, he keeps coming, he sings all the songs, he listens to the messages. One of these days, he's going to come know the Lord. It's really an amazing place. I, I didn't get to see the, the holy temple, but they just finished the largest church auditorium in the entire United States. Holds 20,000 people. Yeah, 20,000. Now get this, have you ever seen the Mormon Tabernacle Choir singing on TV? Ever like at Christmas time or singing Handel's Messiah? <clears throat> This will give you a little perspective. The old auditorium holds 8,000 people. The entire old Mormon tabernacle will fit on the stage of the new one. <laughs> oh, well. It did. You think about that later tonight when you're in bed. You're going to wake up and go, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Do you know how big it is? Well, anyway. <clears throat> Let's get on to something more important. It, it's a great time. Lord's doing really neat things through the rock there. There's a lot of rock starting. And it's just really cool to see what God is doing. The rock church is really kind of the first churches in our movement that kind of have gone to downtowns, right in the heart of downtowns, reaching out to young men and women. And some really amazing things have been happening. So you keep praying for the rock, all right? All right. Thank you very much. I'm going to share something with you tonight that I want you to listen very, very carefully because if you take what you hear tonight and do it, it will change your life. But if you don't, it will ruin your life. It's just that simple. And, and I'm, going to, I'm going to take the Christian life tonight and boil it down to its purest 
essence to its simplest form so that when you walk out of here tonight, there's no doubt in your mind what you need to do, what Christianity really involves, and how you can experience more of God in your life. Have you ever had somebody ask you something really unreasonable, like expect you to do something that's just, you look at them kind of like, you've got to be kidding. Like, you know, maybe they ask you to pay their rent for them, and, but they're not going to pay you back. Or maybe they walk up to you and hand, their, hand you their car payment bill and say, I'd like you to pay this for me, and oh yeah, and I'm not going to pay you back. I, I mean, you know, I've had some people ask me some really unreasonable things in my life. And I've had some unreasonable things required of me in life. But I want to read you a story of a man who had something incredibly unreasonable asked of him. His name was Ezekiel. And Ezekiel was an Old Testament prophet. Quite often, the Old Testament prophets had bad news to deliver. Not an easy thing to do when you're walking around to this nation called Israel, announcing this really bad news. It makes you very unpopular. You often got beat up. Jeremiah was one of these prophets, and he got kind of lowered into a well. The water was gone, but it was all muddy, and they lowered him up to his neck and just left him in mud for weeks. They beat him. They mistreated him. Ezekiel was one of these kinds of guys. And he was telling the nation of Israel what God had told him to tell them. He wasn't making this stuff up. You don't make up the kind of stuff these guys were saying. It's not going to get you rich. It's not going to win you any friends. One day, God comes to Ezekiel. And this is what he says. I want you to listen very carefully to this. This is a real person. I want you to put yourself in his shoes. Then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, the Lord said, I'm going to take away your dearest treasure, the delight of your eyes. Suddenly she will die. (coughs) You must not show any sorrow. Do not weep. Let there be no tears. You may sigh, but only quietly. Let there be no wailing at her grave. Do not uncover your head or take off your sandals. Do not perform the rituals of mourning or accept any food brought to you by consoling friends. So I proceeded to tell the people the next morning all that God had told me to tell them, and in the evening, my wife died. The next morning, I did everything I had been told to do. Now, I don't know about you, but that's one of the most unreasonable things I've ever read in my life. I mean, who does God think he is? That takes an awful lot of audacity to walk up to your servant and say, all right, Ezekiel, here's the deal. The thing that you treasure most, the delight of your eyes, the thing your heart loves so much, your wife, I'm going to take her tomorrow. She's going to die. 
And not only am I going to take her, Ezekiel, but I don't want you to cry. I don't want you to sob. I don't want you to have a pity party. I don't want you to grieve. I don't want you to do what's traditional. I don't want you to mourn. I don't want you to take off your hat. I don't want you to take off your sandals. And when your friends come to console you and say, oh, Ezekiel, we're really sorry, and here's a meal, don't accept it. Now, if you want to sigh quietly, go ahead. But no crying, Ezekiel. Look at this man. So I went out and I delivered a message to the people that God had given me. That's in the chapter before, but I didn't read it for sake of time. And in the evening after I delivered the message, my wife died. And the next morning, I did everything that I had been told to do. You know what that is? You know what we just read? The essence of Christianity and the reason you're having so much trouble. The reason that you're having so much trouble is you think you have a right to disobey. The reason you have so much trouble is that you listen to your feelings. The reason that you have so much trouble with this thing called Christianity, actually with this thing called life, is because you refuse to submit to the unreasonable requests and demands of God. Forgive those who hurt you. Screw you, God. I am not going to forgive those who hurt me till they make amends. Pray for those who do wrong. If they smite you on your left cheek, turn to them the other cheek. you got to be kidding, God. I'm not going to do that. Husbands, lay down your, your life for your wife. I'm not going to do that. Until she does something for me. And everything gives thanks. You've got to be kidding, God. My life sucks. I'm not going to thank you. And the poison of bitterness and doubt run through your veins and bring you down and discouraged and completely ruin your life. Because you don't do what you've been told. You want to make life real easy? You want to make life real easy? Just do what you've been told to do. Just do what you've been told to do. Let me read something to you out of the book of Matthew that is really remarkable. This is the words of Jesus. All these people are following him. Jesus is really interesting. I'll tell you something funny about Jesus. Jesus did everything possible to thin out the crowd. Like today, you know, we do everything to get a crowd. But Jesus, he regularly turned to the giant crowds and he said things to them that kind of, whoa, whoa, no thanks, Jesus. One day he said to the crowd, all these crowds are following him, he said, if anyone comes after me and does not hate his father, mother, brother, sister, yes, even his own life, cannot be my disciple. Jeez, Lord Disciples, that's a hard teaching. So this is one of those times. Not all people who sound religious are really godly. So we're going to find out what it means to be godly. 
See? Because a lot of people can sound religious, we can sing religious, we can look religious, but what does it really mean? What does it really look like to be godly? They may refer to me as Lord, but they still won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Now listen to this. The decisive issue is whether or not they obey my Father in heaven. The decisive issue. There's no other issue. The decisive issue as to whether or not you are a godly individual, as to whether or not Christ is really your Lord, not your friend. Your Lord is you obey Him. You obey Him. In James chapter 1, another very interesting passage in the Scripture. Listen to what it says here. James chapter 121. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the message God has planted in your heart for it is strong enough to save your soul. And remember, it is a message to obey, not just to listen to. If you don't obey, you're only fooling yourself. For if you just listen and don't obey, it's like looking at your face in a mirror but doing nothing to improve your appearance. You, you see yourself, you walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you keep looking steadily into God's perfect law, the law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. It's easy sometimes. You know, I had this funny experience happen to me one time. I, I look in the mirror every day, and then, then later in the day, and then later in the day. This one particular time, I had to go to the airport to pick somebody up from the airport. This never happened to me before. So I heard it and put on this shirt. This was a number of years ago. And I've never buttoned a shirt wrong in my life. Never. I think I just crossed over 40 at the time. And uh, so I go to the airport, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of, well, you know, you may not think so. That's okay. But, you know, I try to take care of my appearance, even if it's aging. I try to take care of it. So I get to the airport, I'm greeting these people, all these people are saying hi to me, and I get home and I happen to go into the bathroom, and I look in the mirror, and my shirt's buttoned wrong. And, well, all I can say is, it looked a little bit like Pee Wee Herman, and I wasn't too excited about that. The Word of God is a mirror to our life. The Word of God is a mirror. It's more than a mirror, but part of what it is is a mirror. It shows us what we're really like, where the needs of our life really are. But of course, some of us aren't even looking in the mirror, see? See, some of us think, well, you know, Mark, I'm sorry, but I, I don't even know what I'm supposed to obey because I'm not obeying the first thing. And the first thing is, read the book. So you know what to obey. <clears throat> well, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have time, Mark. And I, I've never liked to read. I don't care if you like to read, and I don't care if you think you don't have time. Wednesday was a 22-hour day for me. Yesterday I was up at 4 a.m. Today I was up at 4 a.m. There's time. There's always time for what really matters. There's time. There's time. Almost every evening, not every evening, but almost every evening as I'm going to bed, I have my lamp on and I'm reading my one-year Bible for the day. There's always time. 
And when we look in the Word of God, God begins to speak and minister to our soul. And He instructs us, and He encourages us, and He strengthens us, and He comforts us, and He warns us, and He rebukes us, and He guides us. But, but it's real easy to take a mirror, you know, and just kind of put it down, walk away, and, uh, you know, not shave real careful, and not get the little hairs that are in my ears now that I have a little shaver to get rid of. I do. I shave my neck every three days. If you wonder if I'm fanatic about my appearance, I'm fanatic about my appearance the best I can, although I'm not going to go get liposuction and all that. Anything I can do that's really cheap, I do. I do. Then I want to try to be the best I can be, see, because I'm God's representative. You're God's representative. 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22, something very, very interesting in this passage. It's the story of Saul. And Saul has been instructed by Samuel. See, even the king has to take, take instruction. He's gone out and, 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 and Samuel's told him, to do this specific thing. Well, Saul didn't wait. He was supposed to wait for God and wait, wait for, excuse me, wait for Samuel to come and sacrifice all these sheep because only the priests could sacrifice, make sacrifices. Well, the people they were stirring up, they were getting kind of antsy, and uh, Saul had waited a long time, a long time, but not as long as God had intended. And Saul was the kind of guy that feared people. He was always worried about what other people thought. And he got kind of nervous. And so he just started sacrificing sheep himself. Samuel comes up. And he says, Saul, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Obedience is far better than the sacrifices you make. Listening to him is much better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as bad as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. God, you got to be kidding, man. You got Saul's heart was right. I mean, all he did was sacrifice a few sheep. And God says, you know, it ain't good enough. It was a simple thing I asked you to do, Saul. Wait. Just wait. Listen to what I said. Listen to my voice. And do what I said. You want to please the heart of God. You want to make God smile. You want to fill his heart with, and his body with endorphins. Just obey him. Do what he asks you to do. Psalm 119. Just a couple more verses. Then I have a few comments to share with you. Psalm 119 is another favorite passage of mine. Verse 2 Listen to this. Happy. You want to be happy? You want to be happy? If you ask people you want to be happy, almost every, I want to be happy. I want to be happy. So I'm going to tell you how. Happy are those who obey his decrees and search for him with all their heart. Now, there's a lot of you here 
And I could name you. Some of you. Haven't been real happy lately. Because you think happiness is when you get a spouse. You think happiness is when you finally get more money. You think happiness is when everything in life is going to start going your way. But you're wrong. And so some of you here, you've really been sad, and you've really been down, and you've really been discouraged, and some of you have just been downright distraught. We change all that tonight. You could begin changing that tonight. Won't immediately, you won't immediately feel happy, but you'll begin to feel a sense of deeper satisfaction. Two things. Start obeying what you know you should be and start thanking God for what He's allowed in your life. Start thanking Him for what He's allowed in your life. And then go after God with all your heart. Instead of these other things. You know, it's mind-blowing, isn't it, to think for a moment that, you know, none of us in this room tonight would think, I'm going to go out and be a devil worshiper. Yeah, I think I'll go home tonight and worship Lucifer. But there's a lot of us that are going to go out tonight and disobey. There's some of us tonight that are going to go out and sit at a club or a bar, and we're going to have just a little too much to drink. You know, it might be better if you just didn't go to the club at all and didn't even take any alcohol. Since probably the vast majority of people in this room can't control it and don't know when to say when. And do you realize that when you disobey, you might as well just be a witch. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. It's as bad to God as witchcraft. Stubbornness of heart, digging in your heels saying, no, I'm not going to. I know people, I know people who at this point in their life won't even go to the wedding of a friend because they're so pissed at God that he's not given them a spouse yet. Do you know what this says? It says your stubbornness is as bad as bowing down to the big guy with the big stomach named Buddha. It's as bad as going to the shrine <clears throat> of a Hindu god and lighting candles and praying to Vishnu. See, God sees things a lot different than we do. He sees things the way they really are. <clears throat> In Psalm 119, verse 55. <clears throat> Listen to this. This is one of my favorites. I reflect at night. Now listen, because we're going to lead into this now. I reflect at night on who you are, O Lord. And I obey your law because of this. Because of what? Because who you are. This is my happy way of life. Obeying your commandments. This is my happy. You want a happy way of life? Then obey the word of God. <clears throat> I've known the Lord 30 years, been following the Lord 30 years. Now, there have been a lot of trials. There have. I've shared many of them with you. There are many I have not shared with you. Have there been tears? Of course there are. The Bible tells us there's a time for grief, there's a time for sorrow. Unless God says otherwise, like he did to Ezekiel. Sometimes they come to me and go, you know what? No tears. Uh-uh. Yeah, for example, you think, well, that's unreasonable. No, it's not. I've done it as a father. And some of my kids were little. And you know, you say, you know what? I want you to put your toys away right now, and it's time for dinner. 
Tears start well. Do not cry. Don't even think about crying. This is not an issue to cry about. Put your toys away, sweetheart. And if they didn't, if they cried when I said not to over something like that, well, then we administered a little training. You know why? Do you know the worst taskmaster in the world? It's not going to be your spouse. It's not going to be your boss. It's going to be your pathetic, out-of-control emotions. And you better learn to control them. Or they're going to ruin your life. They're going to ruin your life. The worst pharaoh you will ever have is your own flesh. And the most important medicine and best medicine for the flesh is obedience to God. Make the flesh do what it does not want to do over and over and over and over again. The stronger you get and the stronger you get and you beat it down and you beat it down. And victory is achieved when we do that which is unreasonable. And I'll explain that more in just a moment. One other very profound verse. This is the last verse. Matthew chapter 28. Do you ever wonder what has God called us to do? What has God told us to go do? What is the mission of the church? Listen to this. Very, very interesting. Jesus came to his disciples and he said, I have been given complete authority in heaven and earth. In other words, I'm God. I have authority in heaven, all of it, and I have authority in earth. There is no other place. Heaven and earth. That's everything. I'm the king. I'm the ruler. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now listen. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. When my children were born, I knew that priority number one and priority number two and priority number three were all the same. Teach these kids to obey God. Teach these kids to do what they don't want to do. Single most important thing you'll ever teach a child, obey me. I love you. I'm for you. Obey me. And they will have a much easier time when they're 20 obeying God, who then becomes, in one sense, their father, their parent. I have counseled thousands of people. You haven't, so listen carefully to this. I have counseled thousands of people. I have spoken to tens of thousands of people. And all the problems that I see, inside and out, all come down to disobedience. Disobedience in their faith, in what they believe, disobedience in attitudes, disobedience in perspective, disobedience in habits, disobedience in actions. It comes down to those who are doing well because they're obeying God and those who are struggling often and most of the time because they're disobeying God. I want you to think about this for just a moment. Jesus is our brother, right? The Bible tells us that. He's not ashamed to call us his brother. Jesus is our friend. The Bible tells us that. 
Jesus is our advocate. The Bible tells us that in 1 John. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's our Savior. The Bible clearly tells us that. Jesus is our companion. Jesus is our comforter. Jesus is our counselor. But above all of these things, He is your Lord, Master, and Commander. It is not our friend Jesus Christ. It is not Comforter Jesus Christ. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Changes everything. The single most important decision I ever made in my life was not when I came to know Christ. It was when I gave him lordship of my life. And at 19 years of age, I bowed the knee of my heart and I swore my allegiance to him and said for the rest of my life, to the best of my ability, I have fallen on my face. I'm not saying we don't fall on our face, but I got back up with the same intention to do exactly what you ask of me to do, no matter how unreasonable it seems. You see, God's requests in the Bible, listen really carefully to this, will often seem unreasonable to you, but they are never unfair. They are never unwise, and they are never unloving. But they will often seem very unreasonable to you. Never forget who we're dealing with. Jesus isn't some, you know, hey, Jesus, he's my buddy. He is your friend. He is your Savior. He is your companion. He is the one who loves you more than all others love you. But He is Lord of all. He is Master. He is Commander. And He is to be obeyed because He asked you, not because you feel good about doing it. How many of you were a little kid your parents used to sit you in one of those little kid seats in the back. Anybody remember? I never had to. Sorry. Let me just say, have you ever seen really unhappy a two-year-old when you stick him in one of those? Uh, I went out. It's like, yeah, you know, you think about it, it's like locking him in a little straitjacket. You stick him in, the straps come here, they come here, they buckle here, and the kid can't get them undone, and they're stuck there. And I see moms, they're just driving along. They don't think they're being abusive. They're just driving. The kids are going, wah, wah, I want out. Let me out. How dare you restrain me against my will? And for some of you here that are parents, you know, you're like, scream all you want, Johnny. I'm not letting you out. We're driving to Granny's and it's two hours away. Now, we give him some little Cheerios. I'll give him a few graham crackers. Maybe a bottle or their nookie, whatever you call it. Or they suck their thumb or you try to distract them. But the bottom line is, you don't take them out of the seat, sit them on your lap and drive for two more hours. You are so mean. How can you parents be so stinking unreasonable? How many of you watched Save It Private Ryan last night? Anybody watch it? Anybody seen it? A few guys, I got a few good men out here, all right. Ladies, you really need to watch shows like that once in a while, okay? Something besides, never mind, teasing. 
How many of you remember Glory with Matthew Broderick and Denzel Washington? Remember Glory? All right. Now, now think about this for a moment. Listen really carefully. Victory in battle, and your life is a battle. The devil hates your guts. The flesh hates your guts. And you're in a war every day. So now listen very carefully to this. Victory can only be achieved when the unreasonable is done. You think it was very reasonable for General Eisenhower to send 100,000, hundreds of thousands of men on these boats that open up to German gunfire and they're slaughtered as they get out of the boats? And what do you think would happen if all those boys just to said, I ain't going, Ike. No, I ain't going. No, you can't make me. Do you think for a moment that any one of those men was excited about getting out of the boat? Do you think for a moment in glory when Matthew Broderick leads the charge up the hill and those guns are shooting down and they're all mowed down? You think anybody was like, yeah, man, I can't wait to get blown up. That's why yesterday we honor our veterans because they did the unreasonable and you're free because of it. You want your own freedom? You want your own freedom? Then you're going to have to fight for it. You know what you have to do to fight for it? You have to obey God. You're going to have to force this miserable, pathetic body that we're stuck in, this flesh, beat it. And make it do what it does not want to do. Because you know why? Because the new man inside of you really wants to. The new person in you really wants to honor God. Really wants to obey God. And the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you gives you the power to do it. If only you choose to will it so. But God will not override your will. Generals will. They'll court Marcia. You don't do what you're told in battle. You turn tail and run. You can be shot as a deserter. And I want you to think about that next time you watch Private Ryan. Next time you think about our men and women who are fighting in Iraq. This ain't no football game. This is life. This is life. And life is a great struggle. And the way out of that struggle is to obey God. The way to overcome victory will be achieved. By doing the unreasonable. And as you read your Bible, as I have over the years, I've read it now. It would be safe to say, a lot of times. I was going to say hundreds, but since I've never counted, I better not say that. I'm sure it's been at least a hundred. And I've meditated on portions of the Bible thousands of times. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. That's what the Bible says. Trust and obey. You're not going to get all the answers. You're not going to know all the reasons why. You see, it's just like going to battle. That's why I admire men. I feel a comradeship with men who have been in battle. I feel a comradeship with men and pastors, friends of mine around the nation who are doing really hard stuff who are having to really suck it up, who are disciplining their life. I feel a comradeship with men and women in this room who are choosing to do what they don't feel like doing, who are obeying God, 
We're thanking God for their singleness, thanking God for their trials, thanking God for their difficulties. Though they may be difficult, they may be wearisome, they may cause us pain. But they show up week after week after week after week with a smile by faith. With an attitude that says, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. While I was in Germany, I had the chance to read three books. One of the books I read is written by a woman named Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot is a hero of mine. Her husband was Jim Elliot. He was murdered the year I was born. Elizabeth and her husband, Jim, were missionaries in Ecuador to a tribal group of Indians. They lived in a hut with no walls, no running water, no electricity. And they had just given birth to a brand new baby girl. No mosquito nets, no mosquito repellent. They were translating the Bible uh, into this tribe's language, though this tribe didn't have a language. So the first thing they had to do was figure out the language, learn it themselves, and then figure out a written form of that language and then teach them to read that form and then translate the Bible into that form. While they were reaching out to these Indians, her husband Jim and a few of his other missionary friends were trying to reach a tribe of cannibals no one had ever been to called the Auk Indians. They would fly their plane over one of those little biplane things that land on the water. And they'd fly up low and they'd drop stuff down. First, nothing happened, nothing happened, nothing happened. They did this for weeks, for months. And finally, the Indians began to pick the stuff up. And, and one day, they w- were waving at him, so they waved back. And then one day, they flew over low. There was water near there. It was kind of a sand beach, and they kind of waved him down. They came down, and as all five men got out of the plane, all the tribesmen attacked them and stabbed them 16, 17, 20 times with spears, killed them. Elizabeth Elliot was left... On that very day, her husband was murdered. She didn't come home to family. She didn't throw in the towel. Because the Lord God told her, Elizabeth, stay here and finish the job. And alone with her brand new baby in a hut with no walls. And no mosquito net and no mosquito repellent. She spent the next two years of her life translating this unknown language into a Bible and beginning to lead some of them to Christ. She eventually reached the very Indians that killed her husband and led four of those men to Christ. And every night they would sleep on her porch and guard her life. I want a kind of Christianity that Elizabeth Elliot knows. I got to be honest with you, I don't care much for what I see in modern Christianity. That's why I read a lot of old books. A lot of modern Christianity to me is cheap, imitation, pathetic, weak, and anemic. I want the kind of Christianity Ezekiel had. I want the kind of Christianity Paul had. I want the kind of Christianity that Jesus taught. And what he taught was, I love you, I died for you, 
and I've earned the right to demand that you do what I'm telling you to do. You want to change your life tonight? You want to change your life? You change your life, you go home tonight, and you get serious about getting in this book, getting in this book, and start doing what God asks you to do. You want to know where to begin? Begin in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians. Read the New Testament. Get a journal. Get a ruler. Get a pencil. Get a highlighter. Highlight these verses that start. They're going to happen. It'll happen. They'll jump off the page. They won't all. Because some of you are just beginning. And they'll start to jump off the page. And then say, Lord, how do I do that? I'm going to do that today. It might be related to an old boyfriend that you need to forgive. Or to parents. Or maybe you were a pathetic child and you know that you need to make amends. And you've never acknowledged to your parents the hell that you put them through. You've always blamed them. Oh, they were dysfunctional. They did this. They did that. Well, I got a feeling you were no angel to deal with. Maybe it's time we write them a letter. You pick up the phone. You go see them and you say, Mom and Dad, I've been doing some reflecting. And I began to realize how difficult as a teenager I made your life. Choices that I made that broke your heart. And I came here to ask your forgiveness. Man, I'm telling you, Christian, listen to me. 30 years of my life, I've been trying this. I've been living this. And it's an awesome life. There is no greater way to live than living in humble obedience to God. But if you don't, I'm telling you, if you don't, you are currently contributing to the ruination of your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for the word of God. We thank you that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. That's what it is. It shows us the exact way to go. It brings joy to our heart. It revives our spirit. There are so many spirits here tonight, Lord. So many young men and women I know are struggling with being discouraged, with being dismayed. You tell Joshua, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you. Lord, you're with us. You're working all things for good in our life. Help us, Lord, to fight for the truth. Help us, Lord, to fight in our attitudes. Help us to fight in our belief systems. Help us to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Help me. Father, help me. You know, I've been calling out to you for 30 years for help. I need your help. I want to do what you ask of me to do. I want to submit to what you ask me to submit to. I want to yield to what you ask me to yield to. I want to accept what you ask me to accept. I want to embrace that which you ask me to embrace. Though it pierce my own heart, pierce my hand, pierce my body, and it bleeds. Father, I want you to know you're the best thing that ever happened to me. You're the best thing that ever happened to any of us. And we love you. And you said, if you love me, then obey me. That's how I know, Jesus, you said. That's how I know you really love me. You obey me. I pray, Lord, you'd give grace to my young friends here tonight. Young and old alike, I just pray that you'd make us a company of men and women who are committed 
to living a life of obedience to you, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.